This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hey everybody, welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Hine, and you're listening to episode 37. Today I'm talking with Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian. Rebecca is a business coach. She's a keynote speaker. She is the founder and CEO of WeThrive.Live, where she partners with high-achieving women to ban burnout, build community, and boost business. Rebecca is an encourager. She is just really good at encouraging you to pursue your passions and to live the life that you are uniquely created to live. Rebecca is also a connector. She's one of those people that when she meets you, she instantly knows 10 people that you need to know. And she's a giver. She is someone who has so much wisdom from all the experience and the years that she spent learning and growing and teaching and she gives that back so well so organically and when I talk to Rebecca I always walk away feeling like man I hope that I'm like that to other people I hope that I'm the kind of energy giver that she is to the people that are around me this is definitely a positive episode that will encourage you to seek out what your unique gifts are and to go put them out into the world Rebecca is also the host of another podcast, the Badass Women's Council podcast. The show is all about reflection and connection, and it's a show you don't want to miss, so make sure you go check it out. All right, everybody. I hope that you really enjoy my conversation with Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian. Well, today on the Illuminate podcast, I am so excited to welcome my friend, Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. I'm excited too. Yeah, you are just someone that I have truly looked up to over these past few years. And um, let's just tell the story. Gosh, we met about three years ago, I believe, when we both were speaking at a conference. Do you remember the conference? I don't. Isn't it funny how some people you meet and you feel like they've been in your life your life like forever. I can't believe it's only been three years. No, I know what conference it was. It was the um, authority conference that Aaron Fisher was putting on. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and we were both speakers and actually it was one, okay, so this is kind of full circle for me. It was one of my first real speaking gigs, you know, where I was like in front of a large group of people teaching. Yeah. And you were there. I didn't get to see your talk. I think you were there when I talked, but I'm not positive. Uh, But you were just this pro speaker that I have since learned so much from. And just from that one little opportunity of being at the same conference. And I'm so grateful for meeting you. Oh, I love hearing that. I love it. And you know, that's, that's a big part of the work that I do now is helping people know how to, what I call give from your place of giftedness. 
And I think I'm just now figuring out how to talk about that in an intentional way. It's always just been kind of a natural way that I've done life. If I see somebody that's trying to do something that I'm good at or interested in, I just naturally jump in. And so it's it's become a part of really my coaching and my business. So it's I'm glad to hear it was helpful. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of your coaching in your business, your business is wethrive.live. So can you just share what that is with everybody? I can. It's evolving as young and new businesses do. I feel like my business is like a, th- well, it's a four-year-old business. So it's like a toddler. It's a toddler business. Yes. So it could absolutely become something more bigger, different than it is today. But right now I do writing, coaching, keynote speaking on the difference between striving and thriving. And so I have a variety of experiences and coaching and partners that predominantly high achieving women engage in, but I do have a few um, male clients, but mostly I work with badass women like yourself. Now, what is the difference between striving and thriving? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) So it's interesting because we have used the word strive for decades as a moniker of success. But the definition of the word is battle and conflict. Mm. And so it's interesting to me. I'm a word nerd. I'm a writer. I love to know what words mean. And my goal is to help people in business really distill and simplify their lives down to the key elements because we, we've busied ourselves to the point of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything that, you know, the global pause of pandemic has done for us, it's allowed us to take a little bit of a break in a weird, dysfunctional, chaotic kind of way. But, but striving is when you are, a couple of things happen when you're striving. You're looking for some external marker of success to validate you. When I achieve that thing, when I get this many listeners, when I move into that neighborhood, when I get the promotion. And so it's this constant battle to the next thing. And thriving is different. The word thrive means to grow, prosper, and flourish. So it's still about growth and it's still about business and prosperity. It's not some airy fairy. I'm mm. going to move to Tahiti and braid hair on the beach. Kind of thing. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> nice though. <laughs> it does sound nice. Temporarily. It is, it is about growth, but it's doing it from your unique gifts, talents, and abilities and lining up your work with those things that you are naturally hardwired to do and be good at and being intentional about how you do that and really creating more of a rhythm and a flow for your life and less of a battle. Okay, so I have a question. How do you I help people identify those things that they're very good at? It is the most fun thing <laughs> I do in my life and it is so interesting. So I have a framework and, you know, some steps that you take through the process. But one of those is the two that are most interesting to me is one is we talk about this concept of um, what I call the little bitch in your head, which Mm -hmm. is that imposter syndrome and the stories we tell ourselves and, and the stuff that we have in our heads that hold us back. And that's a key part of it. But then I also ask people, okay, so tell me about I just asked the question, tell me about your unique gifts, talents and abilities. And I do my coaching either, well, always video right now, but we're face to face. And these are 
these are women that are like presidents of organizations or, you know, high achieving women often, or, you know, have been in business for a while. So you would think this would be a fairly easy question. And they, they look at me and they give that slow blink, Mm. like, uh, and some of them will actually say, I don't know if I have any. And then they'll start to say things like, well, I'm a good mom. And I'm like, well, that's a role that you play. You should keep doing that. What else? Or they'll say, I'm good. I'm a good accountant. Let's say that's their job. And I'm like, okay, that's a role that you play. You should keep being good at that. But what are you uniquely gifted and talented in? And it is fascinating. And it was the same for me. We don't naturally go there. And getting them to think through what are those things that make you good at the roles that you play is the, one of the biggest benefits that I provide for my clients. Because once they can identify the list, then the idea is use that list intentionally because our brains are hardwired to be valuable and relevant. And when we do that from our place of giftedness, it's a far different sense of well-being. So there's a stark difference between falling in bed at the end of the day, exhausted from striving, feeling like you've been in the battle, versus falling in bed at the end of the day, exhausted from thriving, because you've been doing meaningful work that you're hardwired for. So let me give you an example of my kind of top three unique gifts and talents so yes, that awesome. we can get, get an idea of what we're talking about. I love so, that. No matter what role I play, there's three things that I use really intentionally. One is I am an optimist almost to a fault, annoyingly <laughs> so, right? I can, I can, like the house is burning. Okay, how can I make something optimistic out of this? Like I'm, I'm just, that's, I'm hardwired for optimism. If, if anybody knows like an Enneagram. I was going to ask what's your number? Seven? Yeah, Seven, eight, they're the, I'm, I'm pretty much equal on, on those two, but seven is always a part of my life. In DISC, I'm a DI, so it's, it's hardwired in there. Another thing that is important about me is I can take really complex information and distill it down into a simple framework or a symbol or a metaphor, which makes me great at consulting, writing, and keynote speaking, which are key parts of my, my business, right? Um, and there are just these things that are hardwired who I am. And so if I think about that as my hardwiring, and then I choose roles, careers, projects, even philanthropic activities, it, like reaching out to you and helping with the, the keynote thing, if I choose to engage in areas where I can give those gifts and serve with my gifts, that feels really, really good. But we have to know what those gifts are before we can serve them up intentionally. I am obsessed with this. I have a question about that though too. Um, you mentioned when you helped me with my speech. Now, let me just share with everybody. I, you know, I, I mentioned when Rebecca and I first met, I was doing one of the first talks that I ever really did. And um, probably around a year later, something like that, I had the opportunity to speak at Linking Indie Women, which is a women's organization here in Indianapolis where they have they bring in kind of leaders in the community, women who are doing cool, th cool things. And um, 
I, it's like a 45 minute talk really, you know, and that's a long time to stand on a stage and share your story and also share great takeaways and things for people, tangible things for people to walk away with and, and really think about as they go throughout the rest of their day and week and month and life, you know? Um, and so I, we had met for coffee for gosh, something else. And I kind of brought up that I'd been working on this talk and Rebecca said, um, like, I'd love to help you. Let's set up a time. And she seriously took two, three hours out of her life to just help me process my thinking and organize this talk, which for me was a huge project for her was like, you need to do this, this, and this, pull this story out, you know? Um, and my, my thought is, you know, how do we decide when, when do I give those talents just so freely? Because there's only so much time in the day, you know? So like if every woman that you met was like, Rebecca, I need help writing this speech. Well, you're, they're going to have to hire you, right? Like you can't just freely be giving this service out all the time. So why did you decide me? And how do you make those decisions on a regular basis? Am I making sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is a great question. And I have gotten myself into trouble over the years by maybe being a little more abundant than I should have been with my time. <laughs> but but I'd rather err on that side than, than otherwise. But when you think about, I've always said to my kids, find a gap and fill it. And and that comes from a from a place of community, right? It's I don't come from a place uh, that I'm that it's a job. I didn't see offering to help you in that moment as a job because Mm -hmm. we were in community together. Mm -hmm. You had offered, you don't even realize that you've done this, which is really funny when you talk about this, or maybe you do and you're just humble and haven't shared it. Mm -hmm. You also, when I was thinking about starting a podcast, Mm -hmm. immediately said to me, raising at the time three kids, hadn't added fourth on yet, and all the things, and you at the time only had a couple of hours where you had childcare, and you offered to myself and Emily Sutherland to sit down and have coffee with you for you to share what you knew about podcasting. Mm. Like you naturally did it, just like I naturally did it. So striving is okay, I gotta, I gotta look at my list, I gotta figure it all out, and I gotta control it all. And thriving actually flows from a more natural place. It just kind of happens, which sounds airy fairy woo. And if you know me from my history, like I was, I was a hardcore like business consultant taught execution stuff inside big corporations. So I, I don't come from an airy fairy woo background at all. But what I do know is I spent a lot of my life striving and it felt hard and frustrating and like a battle but serving from a place of things that I'm good at, yes, I should be paid for it. And it is a part of my business. But when I'm living in community Mm -hmm. and you and I have something that we can share with each other that has value and relevance to each other's businesses, it's not that I wouldn't hire you or you wouldn't hire me. But in that moment, it just made sense. It wasn't something I even thought about. It just happened. Now, you mentioned the women supporting women and the community and I wanted to talk about community a little bit because I was just thinking about this last night, actually. I had a socially distant adult beverage with my neighbor. (laughs) Um, 
her husband is actually renovating our kitchen too. So he's been in our house this entire time. So if, if I'm going to have he's a, one of the family then already, he's, yes. he qualifies. <laughs> so I'm like, if I'm going to have a socially distant adult beverage outside with a friend, it probably makes most sense to do that with her since her husband is already in our kitchen every day. Um, but I was talking about this because we were kind of talking about, you know, relationships with the different moms at the school. Our kids go to the same school and, I feel like I'm in this place in my life where I have my, I have like three groups of really, you know, pretty solid friends and they're all, they all are from a different part of my life. And I have wondered if I have closed myself off to expanding those circles because I've gotten so comfortable with where I'm at and those, you know, you know, those deep relationships where you're like, how, how much room in my, in my heart, in my life do I have for more of those? How do we know when to let more people in? It's mm, a great question. Well, and earlier when we were talking about my unique gifts and talents, I said I was going to give you three and I only gave you two. And oh, it's sorry. <laughs> no, but this is, this ties right in. So my, my number two is I'm, I'm a connector. Mm, you are. I, yeah. I can't meet you and not think about three people that you should probably know for some reason, not necessarily to be best friends, but how somebody that would help you and support you in some way. I just naturally do that. And so this, community building thing has become an essential part of my business, but it comes out of my giftedness. I've always done it, but I just now realize how much I've always done it and how important it is. And so one of the reasons I'll give you a little history and then I'll answer your question. So the reason I started the Badass Women's Council, which is a, a group of seven women that we get together once a month to support each other in life and business all amazing women, by the way, like you guys are all just rocking it. Oh, they are such great, great women. And I, when I started that group, I started it out of my own personal need. When I left my corporate job with Franklin Covey, my key relationships for business women were all over the world and nobody was down the street. And so when I left that to start my own business, I had this bit of panic where I thought I hadn't thought this one through. I'm going to go have to find me some friends. Mm. And so I literally went out and found business women friends and, and put this group together. And it resonated so deeply with people that people started to say, how, do, how can I get in? And so that's when I started the podcast, also called the Badass Women's Council and an online community, because I wanted women to have this place where they could learn about community building and find people that they could serve with their gifts and, and really just connect. And so to answer your question, I always look when I'm working with people, I have them look at their life as as a story, but it has chapters. Mm. And so your chapter right now is all hands on deck, keeping humans alive. <laughs> so it's it, it, it. I mean, the fact to even consider that you could let any more humans into your circle would probably be ill advised because then something would have to slip and we didn't we we want those four boys of yours to grow up healthy and happy right and so we oftentimes compare ourselves to just working women or people who are podcasters or we see it from the roles that they play but i prefer to look at it of what chapter that we're in and so i've lived the chapter of raising small children and my circle of of friends was smaller than because that's the emotional bandwidth that i've had 
you know, I've also lived the divorce chapter and I've lived the starting a business chapter. And there's, there are different chapters in our lives that require different things. And while it's important to always have that core, you know, few people that have known you since the beginning, it's always nice to have somebody that can follow the thread of your life. There, there are going to be people in your community that come in and out based on the chapter that you're in. So I had a client who is similar as you that she has small children. She has three small kids and she's the CEO of a startup. So much like your life, it's, it's crazy. And she was, we were talking about a business aspect and, and she started to do a comparison to me and my life. And Mm. I said, I said, hold on, my kids are 18 and 22 and I don't even have to cook for them ever again. If I don't want to, (laughs) I just tell them that Kroger is down the street or order some DoorDash I said, so what would your life be if you never had to fix another meal again? How much time would you have in your life? And it was that light bulb moment where she realized, oh my gosh, we're not the same in that regard. While we both have a passion for business and we're both building businesses, we can't compare the chapters that we're in. And so I think understanding that your community comes largely with the chapter of life that you're in gives us a little grace and it gives us the freedom to realize that there will come a day when these kids of yours start to become more self-sufficient that your circle will probably widen naturally. Yeah. And then you mentioned, you know, finding this group of women, the women that are part of your, your badass women's council. How did you find them? (laughs) You know, it's one of the primary questions that I get asked, which is is funny to me because it's such a natural part of my giftedness to connect and to gather people and always has been. I've always been the one that hosted parties and get togethers that I didn't realize that for other people, if it's not a part of your natural giftedness is a real discomfort. And they will literally like, could you just give me the the to do like uh-huh. how to do it. And I, <laughs> and I have to stop and I have to ask myself because it comes so naturally to me, like what would the steps be if it wasn't natural? And really that's why I created the online community for those people that it's not natural for that I can then be help them connect with others. But, but the first part is exactly what you, you said to have an open heart and an open mind. And this is where, you know, most of us, um, have fallen in love to some degree with like Brene Brown. Mm. She talks about authenticity and vulnerability, right? And this is really where you have to ask yourself, am I not connecting because I'm not willing to be vulnerable and I don't want people to see the real me? Because if you're going to be a if you're going to be in community, you have to allow yourself to be yourself and be exposed a little bit. So so doing some of that self-awareness, authenticity, vulnerability work is is a good place to start because you don't want to be the one in the community that everybody feels like they have to nurture and fix, right? (laughs) You got to kind of have your shit together a little bit for people to want to be in community with you. Um, and then the next step is to, to be, have that kind of serving idea. If you're coming into a community thinking, this is how I'm going to boost my business. I wonder how many leads I can get out of this. That's the wrong reason really to be in real community. But if you come into it saying, I want to give and receive openly, uh, in this group, then it will flow more naturally as it should. And then you don't have to ask people to share leads. They just think of you when they're out in the business community and want to refer you and want to introduce you. So it really does start with the ability to be authentic and vulnerable and put yourself out there in a give and take kind of way. 
Yeah, I've watched you all do that so beautifully. And uh, when you're talking about the authenticity and the vulnerability piece, I'm reading Jenny Allen's book right now. Have you heard of it? Oh, what is it? It's called Get Out of Your Head. Ah. Yeah. And um, the book is kind of more about she walked through an 18 month battle of like struggling with her faith and she's a leader in the faith community and the Christian community. Uh, but the piece of the book that I'm reading about right now is about community. And she's talking about how a lot of times we're when we have this group of friends, like we are scared to peel back that last layer, you know, yeah. like I'm going to share 98% of me with you guys, but that one last bit that you might be ashamed of or might be embarrassed about, or, you know, you don't want to tell your friends X, Y, and Z. That's the piece that you got to sometimes give up if you want those relationships to really be deeper and me- more meaningful. Oh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And What's interesting about that, especially from a faith perspective, when I was building my coaching and consulting model, I vetted it through neuroscience and Bible. Those are the two mm-hmm. things that are really important to me. And our struggles, those, those pieces of us that we are afraid to put out there, are usually what someone else needs to heal. And so mm-hmm. I now see my struggles and the shit that I've been through as the gift that somebody in my life someday is probably going to need. And then I can, as the Bible says, use it all for good. Um, and then it changes my, my apprehension about sharing it because I just carry it around as a gift that I can serve up if it becomes important. Okay. So now you mention the shit that you've been through. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so you said you want to be vulnerable, huh? <laughs> right? <laughs> Let's just give it up for all the podcast listeners. Uh, no, one thing I did want to kind of touch on, though, uh, is your walk through ADHD with your son, your ex-husband, and just how you grew from that experience, what you learned, and what kind of your mission is there now. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm happy to share it. Let- let me give you a, I said earlier, one of my gifts is I can take complex ideas and <laughs> distill it down into metaphors and symbols. So let me give you a, a symbol that will help with this conversation. So let's talk about the difference between marbles and puzzles. Okay. So marbles, let's picture, everybody picture in your hand that you've got a handful of marbles. And individually, they're beautiful and shiny and round and perfect. If you were to turn your hand over on a table in front of you and place those marbles on the table, what's going to happen? They're going to go everywhere. They all roll away. Marbles don't stick together. They may be perfect in their individuality, but they do not stick together. Now, puzzles, if you take that same hand and picture a handful of puzzle pieces with their jaggedy-ass edges and all the dust from the bottom of the box and all the differences, and you put those on the table in front of you, if you were willing to take a moment and arrange those and see how they fit together, there are two characteristics of a puzzle once it's put together. One, it's far more beautiful when it's put together, and it's much stronger when it's put together. 
And so if you think about the ins and the outs of an individual puzzle piece, I see those as our gifts and our struggles. And so it's those gifts and those struggles that when we intentionally use them to serve another and fit together as puzzle pieces, we all get stronger and more beautiful as a part of that process. Mm. And so what you talk about, about ADHD and divorce and challenges and all of that, I, I have learned over time to see those struggles as the gift, as I said. So my son and this work with my son with ADHD is really showing up in big, beautiful ways in my coaching business because I started writing about ADHD. Gosh, my son's 22 now. So this was 18, 15, 18 years ago. And I titled all of my work, not wrong, just different. Mm. I love that. Yeah. What I discovered about my son was his life was completely different than mine in terms of a school experience. I didn't have challenges in school. I, it was, it didn't even occur to me that people did have challenges at school until he was my son. And then I started to see each individual kid in his class for how unique they really were and that everybody had a little bit of a struggle or more of giftedness in one area or another. And it was the class and the system and the way that school was created that really exacerbated the struggles. And so in that writing and in that studying of his differences, it really has now informed my work today that we're all very unique. And it's how we identify and use that uniqueness intentionally that that serves us well. Now, let me ask you this in regards to the education piece that you mentioned. Uh, Rebecca has a TED Talk from 2011 that she talks very eloquently on this topic. And I'm just curious you say to your son, the education system that's happening right now doesn't match the needs you have. Um, You're constantly going to be measured on your organizational ability, not your intelligence. And I think that's so profound because, gosh, school really is one way for a lot of a lot of school systems, right? Like there's one teacher to 20 kids. So how much different can they cater things to an individual kid? So what did you do to nurture his unique abilities? I started paying attention to them. Yeah. I started seeing him through the lens of Cameron, not the lens of grades or school expectations. And that didn't come naturally because as parents, we have been lulled into this idea that if our kids get good grades, go to a decent school and come out with a decent job, we can say that we were good parents. Mm. There's no correlation between that happening and a kid turning out okay. Like good grades and successful, happy life, there's no correlation. But because the uncertainty of parenting is so freaking scary, we have to cling to some belief that makes us feel like we're doing it right. Because the alternative is 
to re- recognize that it is all kind of a crapshoot and that's mm-hmm. scary, right? Mm-hmm. And so we cling to this belief, but actually school was created in the way that it is today to get people to the factories quicker. So when the industrial age hit, we wanted to educate, educate people faster so they could get in to work in the factories quicker. Prior to that, school was community. It was around mm. religious ideas and it was sharing of how the village worked and who was the baker and the butcher and how those skills and talents fit together living in community and in, in, in the village, right? But then school shifted to the industrial age model of school that we have today to serve industry instead of us serving industry. And so that's where we've the book I'm writing right now is, is, is how that's caused us a lot of unintended consequences. And this one is, is profound. So now my son is 22 and he is amazingly gifted. He's a songwriter. He's a musician. He's wonderful. He still can't find both shoes and he will absolutely be late if he has an appointment with you. (laughs) And so we, we start to see people through the lens of if you're organized and on time, that's successful traits. But that's really just successful in school or the industrial age model of work. So if you were to ask Cameron right now, hey, what are your unique gifts and talents? The very first thing that he would tell you is empathy. Mm. And I'm going to cry thinking about it because I'm super proud of that as a parent that he knows that and he knows how to use it intentionally. And it's been that journey of really watching my son and saying, okay, school sucks for you, but what are those things that you're so good at that I can help you recognize so you don't feel like you're losing all the time? And so I took him out of a traditional school environment after sixth grade and put him into a Montessori environment, which was far better for his brain and his life because it allowed him to not conform to some standards that his brain was never going to be able to do. So, and then did your daughter just go to the regular school in your district? Yeah. It's been interesting to watch the differences in that. Um, It's been a little bit of my own social experiment. So my daughter is also very creative. She's an artist. She's, um, but she's very compliant. Mm, She absolutely has a hard time violating any rules. Mm. And I, I think that's going to cause her some struggle, quite frankly. I spend a lot of time with her helping her understand that there are a lot of right answers, but school doesn't teach you that. And so sometimes it's okay to push the boundaries because it's a better fit for you or because you need to serve in a beautiful way. Um, but she's very much a rule follower, which concerns me. More than it does him, who's always going to be late, but he's not as concerned about the rules. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm finding this really refreshing, and I think a lot of parents probably will, because, well, right now, a lot of parents have this expectation of, I have to homeschool, I have to make sure they get all these assignments done by this day, and... Uh, I, I kind of believe I have this gift that, um, of letting that go (laughs) right now in this time. Um, I'm one of the parents that is like, we're not going to get all of it done. And I'm okay with that because I have two toddlers running around on top of my two kids that are in school, you know, I don't think 
every parent is wired that way. I think a lot of parents are like, no, we have to get done what is assigned and I have to, you know, execute this. And what I'm hearing from you is so refreshing because it's just um, illuminating. I guess that's the right word. There we go. Yeah. I mean, it's illuminating the fact that not every kid is going to handle this the same way. And maybe your eight-year-old is going to get all of his work done and be fine with it. But maybe your seven-year-old or maybe your 11-year-old is going to struggle because this environment is so different. Oh, absolutely. It's one of the things I've loved. I I told, I said this on a podcast you run with me is your Instagram stories have always been my favorite because it's, it's, you know, you're letting your kids explore and do, you know, things. They're just exploring the world Mm -hmm. and you're not into the, like, we have to do a certain thing in a certain time and a certain this. I'm not saying kids don't need some routine and some rules. I'm not saying that at all. But when you're thinking about where we are right now, and you're, okay, homeschooling. Home is still first. Right. Home has to be first because the emotional well-being of these kids of yours is far more important than their spelling test or their algebra grade. And in fact, I guarantee you it's not going to have long-term ramifications if you don't do any of those worksheets yeah. during this time. It's just not. What they're going to remember is if you were loving and kind as they were missing their friends. If you go in and start, you know, we got to get this done and hounding them. I mean, they're in a trauma state too. They've, they're missing their friends. They're missing their routine. They're missing their old life just like you are. And so if you go in there like a drill sergeant, you don't walk up to an accident site when somebody's in trauma and say, hey, did you get your algebra homework done? <laughs> you say, are you okay and how can I help you? And so this idea of feeling like school is so rigorous and we got to get it done isn't helping you and it isn't helping them. Now what we need to, to model for, for our kids is everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And how can I help you right now? How happy are you that your kids are not in a place where you have to homeschool them right now? <laughs> Static. <laughs> And it's why I have such a heart for my moms like you who are trying to do all this. Like, I I know that there's this tension that just is awful. And I just don't want parents to feel like it's going to have long-term ramifications. It's not. It's not. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And um, I just, yeah, I think that a lot of this, we just kind of have to have to let go. Um, now you mentioned your book. Mm-hmm. What can you kind of expand a little bit more about the heart behind writing it? I know it, you know, this kind of big, beautiful picture started with your journey with your son and then you started your business later. Like what is the book about and how do those pieces fit together? it's the title is not firm yet, but it really, the essence of it is the difference between striving and thriving. A lot of the things we're talking about right now, but right now the working title is, um, the badass guide to thriving in life and business. What your parents, school and HR aren't telling you. Okay. Because the model that we've been raised in and that we're now perpetuating and raising our kids in is this industrial model of school and work and it's not honoring our unique selves. 
And so I look at three keys to thriving, which are story, money, and rhythm. So it is about those working women. So it's, you know, our stories, our unique stories of gifts and talents. That's where we start to really identify those and get a, get a really good understanding of who we are. And then, then we go to money. You know, think how often we have heard stories or maybe it's our story where you had some interest and as a teenager, you were told not to pursue that interest, but to get a quote unquote real job. And then somebody goes and gets an education based on a quote unquote job, which was just basically our parents thinking that we could, couldn't make any money at what we were really talented in. And so money was the leading factor, not our story. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that money usually is not money well spent. And, and they try that career for a while, and it's just miserable, and they end up trying something different later. So money is is about a neutral commodity, right? So we've, we've, we've trumped up money into this sense of just weirdness. There's more dysfunctional paradigms and perspectives about money than there is politics and religion, but we're just not talking about it. So I put the conversation out there that money is a neutral commodity. Money is what fuels our story, not the other way around. And then rhythm is how can we tie story and money together in a beautiful way instead of it being a battle. I love on your Twitter that you tweeted, the best way to write a book right now is to get up every 30 minutes and jog a half a mile. That's so simple. Oh my gosh, it is. I just started it. So I don't want to proclaim that this is a long term (laughs) study. But I'm telling you what it has changed my life, because it wakes my brain back up. I'm I feel better at the end of the day, like it's totally working. Yeah. And I love that because it's so simple, literally five minutes of, of movement. That's so helpful. You were talking about the book and I saw this on your Twitter as well. And I just loved it so much. And I think it probably really ties into your messaging in the book. You tweeted something about business is human. And so I want to hear what you mean by that. Yeah. And I'm on a quest to get business to speak human and really understand the power of looking at business through the lens of humanity and people. So thinking about right now, because of this global pause, aka pandemic, we are forced to merge our lives and our business together. We didn't ask for it, but here it is, right? Mm -hmm. And we have lulled ourselves into this belief that they were separate before to some degree. And it wasn't working. That's why everybody always used to ask me to come teach them about life balance. And I'm like, well, it's crap. It doesn't exist. You have one life. You don't have two lives. And so now we're all forced to try to figure out how to live and work under the same roof altogether. And it's funny because our authenticity and our vulnerabilities are on display bigger than they've ever been. We know people's natural hair color. We know that that really tough guy in accounting has a chihuahua and that's weird. (laughs) We know that somebody has green walls and we never thought that they'd have green walls in their house. Like we just know things about people because our life is one life now. Our work is there. Our kids are there. Our dogs are there. All of our emotions are there right now. And so when we try to treat business separately, we use factory kind of words productivity. Well, productivity means inputs and outputs. It's actually meant to measure parts and 
and machines. It's not really meant to measure the nuance and the gifts and the talents and the contribution that we make. So here's an example. Let's say that that somebody is, well, I'll use an example from my ex-husband because this one works really well. He started a business where he uh, treats lakes and ponds and installs fountains and helps people stock fish. I mean, a pond business. And he came home one of the first days of doing this kind of work, this business that he created. And he said, it went really well, but I feel bad about what they paid me because I was only there for 45 minutes. So we have this idea it has to be hard and we have to work long hours to be paid well. Mm. That's not true. And so I said to him, I said, okay, they're not paying you sweat equity. They're paying you for the 20 years of experience and knowledge that you've gained that you could walk over, look at their pond and say, oh, I know what that is and I know how to treat it and I'm going to go get the things out of my truck. I'm going to dump them into the pond and in two days, the green shit on your pond is going to be gone. Yay, everybody wins. Mm -hmm. They don't care if you were there for eight minutes or four hours. Just get the green crap out of their pond. But it's so hardwired into the way that we see our lives that this idea of business being factory and industrial isn't helping And so then we start to create terms and acronyms and words that are not human words, (laughs) you know, and it just is maddening to me that when we're in this situation we're in right now, one of the things I wrote about in this article you're probably referencing is parents that have dual incomes are doing their best, right? So they're doing like morning and afternoon shifts. Like Mm -hmm. you make sure the kids don't die in the morning. I'll make sure the kids don't die in the afternoon. (laughs) And and then leaders are coming in and calling mandatory meetings at all weird times of the day and disrupting everything about this couple's plan. And now they're looking at each other angry about whose job's more important. Oh, yes. That's not helpful right now. Yes. Or, Or you say things like, well, let's leverage Tom's skills. Leverage is not a human word. I don't know about you and I I don't want to be leveraged. Like, (laughs) just speak human. Business is human. So instead of saying, hey, what about this? How are the CSRs doing? Well, CSR is a typical acronym that means customer service representative. What you should be saying, especially right now, is how is Angie doing I know that she has three kids under the age of 10 and she's a single mom. Somebody check on her and make sure she's okay. How is Bill doing? I know that he's out making sure his parents are getting groceries at the same time he's taking care of his family. Is he okay? To see people for their unique situation is the most important aspect of engaging people at work is to treat them as humans. That's so good. Oh my gosh, that's that's too too good. And when you spoke on whose job is more important, man, that resonated with me because you know, my husband has a corporate job and he's been the traditional job guy for the last, you know, 10 years of our marriage, but I have a job too and yeah. I just work for myself. So I can be flexible. That's, you know, as annoying as it feels sometimes right now, because I'm, it's kind of expected that I need to be the flexible one. Um, it's, it's a blessing because I created this environment for myself, but those feelings of frustration are so hard because 
he's working with all these other people and in this corporate industry. So it's like, well, we have a meeting at two and that's just what it is, you know? And mm-hmm. so I'm sure that a lot of other people in this situation feel the same because I have found myself feeling very resentful. Like, Oh, your job's more important than mine. Yeah. You know, even though he's being as flexible as he can be, honestly. And kids come to mom for more things. They do. It's just, a, and we love it and we hate it. So if, if, our kids start to go to dad more often. We almost feel like what's going on. Am I losing my value? And why are they, you know, it's, we want it, but yet when we're trying to work and do this, it's maddening. And so women, moms, especially are hit harder in this situation than anybody else. I think so. And not to mention those stay at home moms, because man, if your husband is now and I know we're kind of like being gender specific here, but if your spouse is home full time now working from home full time and you're still meant to carry on your normal job as the stay at home parent, but you can't leave the house, you still have to do schooling and you still and you have to keep those kids away from the working parent who's like hiding in the closet. Yeah. That's so hard. Oh, absolutely. And it doesn't, you're right. Comparing our situation to somebody else's doesn't do a thing to alleviate our pain and our struggle, right? Everybody has been disrupted, every single person. And so acknowledging that our feelings are valid and real, and we have every right to our own feelings is an important part of healing and getting to the place that we can do this better. You know, I always, I love the term, nobody gets to pick how you feel. Mm-hmm. And that's so important right now that you can't compare yourself because people are trying to say like, well, at least I mm-hmm. don't have COVID or at least I'm not a frontline healthcare worker. No, that does nothing to alleviate the fact that you're losing your mind trying to manage all the stuff that we're doing right now. Yeah. It's like accepting it and knowing that everybody else's situation is just uniquely different and probably difficult for their own reasons. I've personally really struggled with, um, you know, I have four kids and so I'm, you know, two trying to do the school with them and then also keeping the toddlers safe and, you know, all that stuff. And I've struggled with being like, having all four of them at one time is really hard. And I have several friends with two kids, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I just had my big two, like this would be so simple, but it's not so simple for them. That's what they know. And hard is hard. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything to compare it. I I had a couple of days two weeks ago where I hated anybody who had dual income Mm. because I'm a single mom entrepreneur where guess what? The money is not flowing right now. And so my place of insecurity and fear and survival is by looking at out as people who have dual income and thinking, well, at least they've got two paychecks. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was shitty for a couple of days with people I love. Like if you were married or dual income, I couldn't even look you in the eye on a zoom call or show up for a phone call. I was like, I can't talk to you right now. (laughs) Well, I really appreciate that you said that. And it's unreasonable. Yeah. Right. Not that I don't like those people. It's just I, my place of pain and insecurity and survival was too great. And I couldn't put myself out there for a couple of days. Well, I, I appreciate that you said that so much because as I was airing my dirty laundry about my feelings, you know, when I should be extremely grateful, like there are plenty of people in this world that would do anything to have four kids, you know, um, I felt really guilty sharing that because I feel like, bad that I felt those feelings of resentment when 
I have an abundance of children that I should be very grateful for. But our place of security comes from our individual uniqueness. That's that's human nature. We're hardwired for that's our neuroscience. So all of us went to a place of survival, and our pain is very personal, just like our gifts are very personal. And we shouldn't feel bad about feeling bad. That's a part of the healing process. Is just to allow because if we don't acknowledge it it's going to manifest in some weird way later that doesn't make any sense. And so it's better just to look at it for what it is and go, you know what, this sucks. And I'm just going to look at it for a minute and say that it sucks. And then I'll probably be able to move on tomorrow. But ignoring it or pretending like it's not worthy of our pain or frustration isn't helpful. So what are you doing right now to bring joy into your life? What, what is bringing you joy? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So another part of healing through this thing is to tell ourselves that we're okay. And when we can give from our place of giftedness, our brains feel like, oh, good, we're not dying. We're not surviving. We're actually thriving again. And so one of the things that I said was really important to me in my giftedness is community. And so I was on Twitter one night and and noticed that somebody had posted that they were single and alone Mm -hmm. through all this. And it just hit me in my heart hard. And I thought, if my kids weren't here, this would totally suck. And so I reached out on Twitter and and said, any single women that are, you know, sheltering alone, send me your address. I'll mail you a Badass Women's Council t-shirt. I love that. it, It is a silly thing in the grand scope of things, right? But for me, to mail out those 15 shirts, which a few of you, if you're listening, I owe you a few more to go out and write each of them a little note. And for them to then say to me after on Twitter, like thanking me, like that lit me up. That gave me joy that I'm a community builder and now I'm connected to these people and I can check in on them and I've invited them into the online community. Like we should, we should serve from that place of connection. So I've done a lot of those kinds of things where I'll just reach out to some of my groups and schedule a Zoom happy hour, a Zoom coffee chat in the online community. So I'm trying to just look for opportunities to bring people together. I had a had a birthday last week. And, I saw you know, your Instagram. Yeah. And I mean, you know, come on. Nobody wants a quarantine birthday. What the hell is that? But I can honestly say it's probably one of my favorite birthdays ever because a bunch of my people did a drive-by birthday uh, and they – to think about the level of love and intention that it required for them in a global pandemic to leave and come hand me signs and gifts out the window for my birthday, like was the most moving, touching thing I can ever describe. And the notes that they sent were so personal and so beautiful, right? So I'm, I'm doing things right now that are just trying to bring people together in whatever way makes sense for me. And, and I think that's something that I would love for people to take away from this today is whatever your place of giftedness is, people need what you've got today more than ever. So another lady I was working with, she said, you know what? I love arranging flowers. I always have. And so when she was doing her regular grocery store run, she called up the guy at Kroger that has the flower department and got a bulk of flowers in her grocery delivery and she made a bunch of little arrangements and delivered them to people that she knew that were struggling. And and that made her feel good. And it made them feel good. So whatever you're good at, do that. That's so great. And if you don't mind, I'm going to steal your idea. 
and reach out to my community, probably in my Facebook group and see who is sheltering alone. There's a couple women, um, Beth and Susan that I'm thinking about that both live in New York city. And I have thought about these two ladies so often right now. They're around the same age as me and they live alone. They're single. And I'm just like, you know, as much as this is hard with my little kids, I, it would feel so lonely to just be isolated by yourself. So I'm going to, I'm going to reach out and see who else I, I have in my community that's alone and send out some, some goodies. Send them, send their address to me and I will send them a Badass Women's Council t-shirt as well. Oh, these women. Yes, I will for sure. Um, okay, Rebecca. Well, we, this has just been wonderful and so much that we talked about has felt relevant to right now, but also in the bigger picture of life for so many reasons. Uh, so thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. I, you and I could sit and do this for a I day. Know. So. I'm like, I don't want to <laughs> stop. <laughs> um, we, we might need our own podcast together someday. Who knows? That may manifest. It can happen. Anyth- <laughs> anything can happen. Um, but we always like to highlight some other people at the end of the podcast. So I'm just curious if there's anybody or an organization that you would like to share with the community, someone that's illuminating in their own way to the world around them. Oh, that's so good. Um, can I have more than one? Sure. I can do a couple, right? Yeah. So somebody that's really has my heart about this whole business is human thing. Lindsay Chepkema uh, is the CEO of Casted, which is a high alpha company headquartered here in Indianapolis. And she's doing a lot of really great stuff on her social media about reminding people that business is human. So um, a shout out to her. Um, Dove Recovery House for Women is a, an organization that is free for women who are recovering from drug and alcohol addiction. And they rely on, obviously, you know, a nonprofit organization, their donors, uh, and they really are doing amazing work. Their, their success rate is, oh my gosh, like 80% success rate in helping these women get back into taking care of their families and back into community. So I want to shout out to them that if anybody's looking for a place to serve and donate right now with supplies or cash, um, they do really good work and um, these women need our support. You know, I, they are in my neighborhood, like literally. I could just... Oh, that's right. Yeah, they I, they're like two blocks from me. I could walk yeah. over there. Yeah. So I, I am really happy that you mentioned them because I've actually been wanting to seek that out for a while. So that's really... That really feels perfect. Good. Good, good, good. And what is the best, most recent book you've read? I refuse to read any right now because I uh, don't to mess with my voice while I'm writing mine. I've heard people say that, that are writing books. Okay. It's my, I cannot wait. I have a, like, I'm gathering a list of what are you going to read when you're done writing this book? Because okay, I go back in the day then. I miss reading. Um... Oh my gosh, Lindsay, I can't remember. Well, what's the on your list? I read. Um, I want to read Michelle Obama's book. I still haven't read it. Uh-huh. You know, I'll, I'll tell you my favorite classic book. It's always when everybody says, "What's your favorite book?" It always comes to mind. My favorite book of all times, which I've read two or three times, is East of Eden. I mean, it's just a classic. John Steinbeck, beautifully written, The Battle of Good and Evil, which is a timeless kind of story, like. I'm geeky like that, but I also love some 
Brene Brown, everything she's ever written, I've read twice, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. I like Brene. I mean, I don't know who doesn't like Brene Brown, right? Right. And, and would you admit it in public if you didn't? Because you yeah. probably some kind of, you know, there's, there has to be a social backlash of admitting that you don't like Brene Brown somewhere. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, okay, Rebecca, what's your one message to send to the world? My one message, um, life is about choices. Choose, choose based on what's your uniqueness and don't feel the need to conform to the ways of the world. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in today. Thanks, Rebecca, for coming on the podcast. You all can find Rebecca on social media. She is Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian, H-E-S-S-I-O-N, on Instagram. And you can also find her podcast on Instagram, Badass Women's Council. And one of the best ways to connect with Rebecca is over on LinkedIn. She's Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian over there. You all can find the Illuminate podcast on social media and everything we talked about will also be in our show notes. On Instagram, we are the Illuminate podcast. On Twitter, we are Illuminate underscore pod. And on Facebook, we're the Illuminate podcast. You can find the show notes to everything we talked about in this episode at theilluminatepodcast.com. And make sure you check out the other shows in the Sandy Boy Podcast Network. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine and the Up and Running Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen. It's one of the best ways potential new listeners can find us. And if you really loved it, take a screenshot and share it with your friends on social media. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here today. I hope you're having a great day and we'll see you next week on the Illuminate Podcast. 